the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer in the maple auto mall near rutherford at highway 400 luxury is closer than you think round one on round one matt gurney is here journalist co-founder of the online magazine called the line john burnside toronto city councillor and chair of the ttc robert turner is also here on a monday morning uh good morning to y'all let's actually start with uh, the latest poll and john i'm never sure if you want to necessarily weigh in on this stuff uh, because you know you're gonna have to work with whoever gets elected but olivia chow is not only still leading but consolidating her lead which is interesting because i aside from a couple of videos that i've seen online i've heard almost nothing from her and that's and i think that is the strategy because we saw in the last when she ran i think it's 2014 when she was out in the debates she actually lost support and that and you know tory ultimately won i think the big challenge for the people on the right side of the ledger or in the center is they're all going after the john tory vote and the i think those people are like the um, the person who just lost their their uh, boyfriend or girlfriend they're not emotionally ready to uh, to <laughs> to even like they really really aren't emotionally ready to consider anyone else. And when they look at anyone else, they pick apart every last thing. Okay. Well, Robert Turner, are you still falling asleep on your John Tory pillow? Uh, what are you talking about? That's, that's a weird question to ask. Uh, well, look, I mean, I think the fact that John Tory is the only one ahead of undecided in all these polls tells you a lot. Uh, yeah, Olivia Chow is winning so Sort of. Uh, I'm with you. She seems to have gone into hiding. She makes. She did make an announcement, and Jerry Agar's in the other room right now with a napkin trying to do the math going, none of this makes sense. So I think you might hear more about that at 9.05. Um, but I don't know. What I'm finding confusing is you see all these polls, and I know you can't compare polls, but we all do. And Olivia Chow's in the lead. That's consistent across all the polls. Mm-hmm. Everything underneath is a dog's breakfast if nothing matches. So I don't know what you can take from any of this. I don't think people started paying attention until the Leafs officially got eliminated. There you go. Okay, so today's the day. Uh, Mark Saunders, second place. Josh Matlow continues to place well in third. Uh, Brad Bradford, I think, punching above his weight. And Mitzi Hunter probably getting a bit of a bump after having announced that she was uh, quitting Queen's Park. But Matt Gurney, your takeaway? Um, I think I kind of agree with, with everything said so far. I don't know if anyone's really paying that much attention yet. I don't know, like, we, we keep talking about how, like, Olivia Chow is leading, she's consolidating her lead, you know, and that's true in a, in a technical sense. But then every time I look at one of these polls, it's like she is way out in front with, like, a solid 7%. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, we might be heading towards an election where we end up with the person who becomes the most powerful member of the Toronto Municipal Government government having vote shares below one quarter of the people who show up and maybe 10% of the total electorate here. I've never been one of these guys who freaks out about turnout. I think people who show up get to make decisions, but it's hard to look at any of this and have a, have the feeling that things are going well for our democracy. Well, and functionally, whoever wins is going to have to go to the other levels of government and say, hey, you need to help us out. And when they can point to the fact that, you know, a fraction of a fraction of people voted for them, it doesn't give them a great position to say, well, I'll get my base mad at you. Well, it's like seven people. Okay, without dwelling on this forever, but John Burnside, is there a possibility this is going to be like an untamed city council where the mayor is elected with so few votes that the council is going to say, screw you, we're running the show? Well, I think it's going to be untamed anyway. That's... Uh, it's split right now down the center, like the 
they're half on the left, half on the right. And I think that would be a huge problem for a couple of the candidates because they actually don't appeal personally to very many people on council. So there are a couple that I would actually discount and you can, you can, uh, figure out who those are later but um <laughs> i'll guess right now but it'll get really awkward <laughs> <laughs> well you're the man to make everyone feel awkward so Mat- it's matlow we're talking about matlow who, well, who not, likes I'm being not... an outsider uh and who said like i'm gonna i'm gonna he, he keeps tweeting about it. he's gonna stand up for toronto against doug ford how would that work if you were the mayor because you don't have the power to do anything without uh, Ontario helping you. Well, I can guarantee that there are so many votes at City Council uh, where it comes down to personal appeal and being able, like, and John Tory was very good at that. And Council is so split. But I'll tell you who else, and I wasn't here to bash Matlow. I actually uh, quite like him on a personal level. Um, Mark Saunders is going to have the same problem yep. if you were elected. So. Okay. Uh, listen, speaking of speculative issues, um, column this weekend in the Globe and Mail about Pierre Polyev saying, you know, prepare yourselves. He's going to be the Prime Minister. Matt Gurney, I think the probabilities are definitely there, but I don't know if it's inevitable. Yeah, I think that's about right. I think he has a pretty good shot, and I also think he has a better shot than a lot of his opponents, particularly liberal supporters, uh, want him to have. I've been warning my liberal friends for a number of years now, you can't be the people who in 2016 sat around going, man, Hillary Clinton has this in the bag. This is going to be easy. And then you're shocked when it's Trump who wins. I don't know if Polyev is going to win. He he has a path to victory. I think he has a genuine real path but i also think he has roadblocks here but i think the probably the number one thing he has going for him right now is the fact that a lot of people out there who are convinced he can't do it and they may be in for something of a shock two years from now yeah john burnside i just you know there's almost this attitude that it's his turn yeah, which which I hate, but as everyone will say, the people uh, don't get elected. It's the other person that gets unelected. But what I'd say is that a lot of his goofy things, whether it's the or convoys or crypto, that stuff is all background noise. What he's doing really well, and I'm not a fan by any means, but what he's doing really well is uh, addressing the issues that the liberals normally attack conservatives over. Uh, abortion, LGBTQ um, policies, and then, of course, he's working really hard with newer Canadians, which is Patrick Brown all over, and don't ever underestimate the power of that. People don't hate him as much as the liberals want them to. Uh, And you see that, you know, real life is not Twitter. It's an echo chamber, and it's driven by an algorithm. So, you, but you see it. Like, Polyev put out a video on the weekend, which was kind of laughable, but okay, it wasn't directed to me. It was effective. About the passport, and basically Justin Trudeau is changing the passport to erase Canadian culture, which I think is probably not what's going on, but I don't understand how you pull Terry Fox off of anything and think it's a good idea. So if he can sell that message, politically it may work. But there's this hatred for Polyev that I just, I don't think the average person is worried about all of that. They want to know who's going to make things more affordable. And if Polyev can sell that, if Polyev can say, look, I've got policies that are going to get the kids out of your basement and into a house when they're 30, uh, I think that will probably win. Uh, we haven't talked about the Leafs yet. Uh, John Burnside, uh, has it crushed your will to live, or do you even care? Well, no, it took me, I was, I sort of, um, the last 30 years I've been off the Leafs because I didn't feel that they were making efforts, efforts to be competitive, but I really did enjoy the series. But I was actually, for a change, smart enough to realize it was time to go to bed after the third period. Mm-hmm. So I did that a couple times, and I didn't have the emotional distress of watching them lose in overtime. Yeah, same thing happened to me. I finally ran out of gas on Friday night, so I didn't see the ultimate clincher. 
Yeah, I just I uh, I'm not surprised it ended the way it did. I was disappointed. I feel like I'm sort of abusing my kids by raising them as Leaf fans because <laughs> you know generational disappointment being passed down. I'm not a hockey expert at all, right? I really sort of pay, hop on the bandwagon and pay a lot more attention in the playoffs. But it seemed to me like the officiating was worse than professional wrestling. Uh, and I mean, it's not exactly known for having great referees. So I don't know how that goal that was clearly a goal wasn't a goal. But that's also not why they lost. So I guess we're just moving on. Yeah. Okay, Matt Gurney, is it child abuse to raise your children as Leafs fans? If it is, I'm guilty of it. Like, my eight-year-old was sobbing unconsolably on Friday, and I'm, I'm standing there thinking, I should probably do something. But on the other hand, he should probably get used to this. So he needs that's to build a, up that emotional callus. He yeah. does, yeah. So this is where my failures as a man and a father manifest. I'm so broken on the Leafs that I don't even recognize the suffering of others. Look, <laughs> it, was, it was a frustrating outcome, um, and I, I agree with Robert, and I, and I am. I'm a pretty big hockey guy. The officiating was bad. It was one of those games where you can, and probably being as a Leafs fan will, I'll spend some time lamenting the officiating here. 30 years from now, I'll be in an LTC lamenting how 2023 was our year if those damned officials hadn't taken it from us. But all kidding aside... You cannot give up the first three games in a series and then complain about anything that happens to you after that. Like, when you put yourself in that situation, you are at the mercy of a bad call, a bad bounce, a bad play that you make. You can't do that to yourselves. Winners don't do that, and I just don't have any sympathy for the Leafs. I think it's time to make some big changes here. There's no crying in baseball. Uh, One of the inevitable aspects of uh, watching sports these days is the endless parade of ads for gambling. Um, Robert Turner, there's some calls that we should treat it like tobacco advertising and alcohol advertising. There should be limits, and especially to keep it away from kids. You've got kids. Do you agree? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, like, I'm I'm not against gambling, but I think it. We, the regulations don't seem to match, and I think that's what people are calling out here. You go into a convenience store, uh, you're not even allowed to look at the boxes of the cigarettes because everything's covered up, right? Uh, alcohol ads, you never really see anybody drink because they're not allowed to show that. Meanwhile, the sports gambling is embedded to the point where my 10-year-old is asking me, "What? what's this parlay thing? I'm like, oh, we're not getting into this because I don't know, uh, and I don't want you at 10 years old figuring out how to gamble. It seems like there's a disconnect there, and I don't understand how the... the Regulatory agencies that rate programming, you know, is it's if it's PG, if it's PG thirteen, aren't looking at sports broadcasts and saying if you're going to have this much embedded gambling content, you have to put a flag up there that it's not for kids. Okay, but Matt Gurney, are we being a little too Presbyterian about this? Um, well, I mean, is it Presbyterian to want consistency? And, you know, I mean, is, can we loosen up on alcohol uh, ads then? Like, is that the way to fix this? I don't have strong feelings on this. I'm, I've never been into gambling. I Every time I try to gamble, I immediately lose my $5. It, like, I've never gotten the appeal of instantaneous defeat, so I guess I wasn't susceptible to getting addicted to it. But I think I have to agree with Robert here. All I'm looking for here is some consistency. I don't think it bothers me to see it, but I think I'm just, I, I've been around the, the block enough times here to know that five, ten years from now, however long it takes, yep. there's going to be some study come out, there's going to be some committee in the commons, we're going to end up doing something, and then we're going to have 30 years of op-ed articles talking about how that, in that ten-year window, lives were ruined. I just, I would like us to get a consistent, non-hypocritical policy from the beginning, as opposed to being guilt-tripped into it a decade from now. 
Uh, Tim Hudak writes a column today. We'll talk with him at 835 about it. But he says a cooling off period for resale homes is a bad idea, but a cooling off period for buying a brand new or not yet even constructed home would be okay. Um, it's notable, of course, he is the head of the Ontario Real Estate Association. But John Burnside, do you see that distinction between new builds and existing homes? Oh, 100%. Um, and I have complaints about the whole residential real estate market, but I do agree with Tim on this one. Um, so for a couple reasons. One is when you're buying a home from some an individual, you can put in your own conditions of you know, fi- uh, financing. And then that's really your cooling off period because you can just say you didn't get it. The other problem is, especially in Toronto, when you um, go to sell your house, uh, you're, you usually buy a house first. So then if, if someone has this cooling off period and all that uncertainty, it extends the time you need to bridge finance. I did the, the math right now, bridge financing is about 11%. So for every month of bridge financing, it's going to cost the average person who's buying the million dollar home $9,000. As mentioned, Tim Hudak is going to be here at 835, so he'll make his pitch. I'm mostly on board with uh, that reasoning, John Burnside, and what Tim argues in his column today. My thanks to all of you, Matt Gurney, Robert Turner, John Burnside. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.